Sometimes studying the Bible can feel overwhelming and confusing. Grounded in Truth with Janet Dennison will help you learn to study, understand, and apply God's Word to your daily life. His Word is true. And guess what? It's for everyone. So thanks for joining us today as we dive into Scripture together. Welcome to Lesson 12. It'll be from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. And I could only do 11 verses today because today we have the privilege of looking at one of the finest chapters in all of our Bibles. In Paul's masterpiece, this may be his best chapter. So the title of this is Freedom Through the Holy Spirit. The Expositor's Bible Commentary is the one I use most often to prepare for teaching, and it describes Romans chapter 8 as high and holy ground indeed for the Christian pilgrim to tread. If there was only one chapter of the Bible I could take to a deserted island, I would choose Romans chapter 8. And so I'm excited to teach today uh, just to bring you back up to speed with where we've been. Uh, we left Paul last time uh, in chapter 7 saying that he felt wretched. Today we pick up with the solution for that. The theme of the entire book of Romans, again, is found in chapter 1 when Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That is the theme of the book of Romans. And so keep that in mind because the rest of the chapters unfold as an explanation of those two verses. Why are those two verses true? We'll look at that as we put this bow on all the first seven chapters Chapter 8 is kind of the grand finale. If it were a fireworks show, it would be that big closing finale of fireworks. That's what chapter 8 is. It begins with the word therefore because he's wanting you to think about what he said in chapter 7. Actually, Paul's wanting you to think about what he said in the letter up to this point. He has been talking about being made righteous through your faith and that God's salvation was for everyone and that no one had an excuse to not know there was a God because they could look at all that was created and know there had to be a creator. And he's talked about the fact that even though we try our best, no one can live without sin. It was impossible. And that's why God provided Jesus, the perfect single sacrifice for the sins of all mankind for all time. It was God's perfect solution for mankind's sin. In chapter 7, remember I told you I loved that chapter? It's because Paul, for all that he knew, for how hard he worked at his faith, 
for all of his years of missionary service, even after his encounter on the road to Damascus with Jesus himself. He wanted to do life perfectly. He wanted to live without sin. But he said, even when I want to do right, I don't. Even when I try to live without sin, I sin. And at the end of it, he describes himself as wretched, which means hopeless. What he's saying there is that we're all hopeless without Christ. And that's why he begins chapter 8 the way that he does. He says at the end, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus. He said, so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Paul closes chapter 7 describing himself as no matter how hard he works, how much he prays, how hard he tries, we still have a sin nature that tries to enslave us. And because of that, he says in Romans 8.1, therefore, Paul understands that the struggle between the flesh and the spirit it will always exist in our earthly lives. Chapter 8 is God's answer for that struggle that all of us have, Paul himself included. So one of Paul's common goals in his letters is when he writes a letter to the different churches, he wants to define and encourage what it means to live according to God's Holy Spirit. It took me a while in my Christian life to come to the place where I understood the why of the Holy Spirit. I understood that it was the Spirit who gives us life. He's the part that is really in our souls that live forever. I understood that part. I understood that the Spirit was a gift and gave us gifts. But I didn't really understand who He was. So, Paul's chapter 8 sums up everything he's written from the beginning in chapter 1 all the way through chapter 7. All of these struggles we have between flesh and spirit, all of the sin nature that we live with, all of the knowledge that no matter how hard we try, we can never live high enough. We can never be perfect. Well, now he talks about the only way we're even able to live with God's standards in our life. And that's through God's Holy Spirit. That's why he gave him to us. If you're as old as me, you grew up with the King James Version where the Holy Spirit was called the Holy Ghost. And so I think for a lot of us early on, we watched Casper the Friendly Ghost and then we went to church and heard about the Holy Ghost. And those two things can kind of combine in our minds if we're not careful. If you've never heard a lesson on the Holy Spirit, then I want you to start with this one important fact. The Holy Spirit is a person. It is a person of the triune God. The Holy Spirit is the continued presence of Jesus here in this world. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. He's certainly not a ghost. We can't touch him, but he is so real. 
My favorite description of the Holy Spirit is that He is the continued ministry of Jesus in this world through God's people. I believe that in order to really understand the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, you have to start on that one stone and stand there firmly. Are you abundantly aware that there is the power of Jesus, the mind of Christ, the presence of Jesus guiding you in your life, and he is constant because he indwells you? That's who the Holy Spirit is. So as we talk about him here today, keep that in mind. And if you leave with nothing else from this lesson today, I would want you to leave with that. He is an ever-present help. He will be the voice of Jesus in your heart and soul. So let's look at all that the Holy Spirit is in our life, remembering why Jesus died so that we could have him. In his first lesson on the subject to the church in Rome, he begins by saying, he's just finished saying, how wretched are we? No matter how hard we try, we're hopeless to be perfect. And then he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why should we be positive? Because right now you live a life that has been redeemed. If you are a Christian, there is no condemnation. And I think a lot of us don't receive that into our lives now. We're called to live redeemed lives now. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You should live with that great confidence. Heaven is real and yours right now. Why? Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That old nature, that sin nature, the human nature, it's opposed to the things of God. It's where Satan is at work trying to help us want things that are not the things God wants for our lives. But when you're in Christ Jesus, you have been given his Holy Spirit. That's your guarantee that you're going to heaven. And you've been set free from that law, that control. You've been given an option. You don't have to be controlled by the old self any longer because you've been given the presence of Jesus in your life. You've been given the Holy Spirit. So... Paul encourages the Christians to live as victorious people, people who are no longer condemned. Live with confidence. Our salvation is confirmed by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Are you abundantly aware that you will never die? We are not set free from sin, but we are victorious because we overcame the law of sin. Our ability to obey those laws is no longer a factor because we've been set free from that, but because Jesus died. So a spirit-led life should be lived free from the fear of condemnation. We understand we sin and we ought not to. We understand that we feel bad 
when we know what God wants us to do and we choose not to do it. That's going to be part of our life until we go to heaven. But what we never have to live with is a fear that we may have done something that now condemns our souls. If you were once saved and have kind of not lived in it for a long time, the only thing you need to do today is to clean it up, repent, walk the other way. The sins of our past as Christians don't condemn us, but they can control us if we allow them to. The answer for that is in what Paul is going to talk about now. How do Paul's words bless you today? How should they bless you today? Is there an area of your life where you have not released, um, that you have allowed the world to condemn you and you continue to condemn yourself? Have people slandered you for choosing to live as a Christian or trying to live in a way that God's standards trump what the world says is okay? Have you struggled sometimes to feel adequate as a Christian and you look around and you think, oh, they're doing a better job than I am, or oh, I wish I could do that or this. Some of the most important gifts in the Christian kingdom, the gifts of the Spirit, some of the most important ones are not the ones that are upfront and visible. It's what happens behind the scenes. I believe that some of what Jesus was saying when he said, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. I think a lot of times we put people first spiritually too. Be careful of that. God uses the quiet behind the scenes people to do his greatest work. So consider how to apply these words of Paul today to your own life. Uh, how do these words change what you have thought and what you have uh, been influenced to believe in the past? Paul writes, For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order the, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's Romans 8, 3 and 4. What we need to look at carefully is this. God sent Jesus in the flesh to be as we are yet without sin, so that he could be the perfect sin offering for you and I who are in the flesh, but who all of us have sinned. In doing that, in giving his own son to be the perfect sin offering for everyone, he condemned sin in the flesh. It's not that he stops it, because until we get to heaven, sin will be part of our flesh. It'll be part of what we want to do. But in order that the righteous requirement of the law, what is that? The righteous requirement of the law is that there be a blood offering, a sin offering made for the sins 
of people. It began in the Garden of Eden when God sacrificed animals in order to cover Adam and Eve. It's always been that way. I can't tell you why. It just is God's way of covering our sin. So in order that that could be complete and thorough, God gave us Jesus. And we don't live according to our flesh. We don't live eternally because of what we do in our flesh or don't do in our flesh. We live eternally because we have the Spirit of God according to His Spirit. In the next verse, what does it mean to live according to the Spirit? Only Christians have been given God's Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit of God, you are saved. You are going to heaven. Only Christians are given God's Holy Spirit, so only Christians go to heaven. That sounds narrow. It sounds biased. It sounds like I'm trying to say we got it right and everybody else got it wrong. I'm just telling you and teaching you what the Word of God says. And if you want to argue it, it wouldn't be with me. It would be with the words of the Lord himself. He has said, those who have my spirit go to heaven. So the law was powerless to save. It depended on people's faithful obedience to it. So God gave us his son. That's how that righteous requirement was met. And so the price for our sins has now been fully met in those who live eternally because we live according to the Holy Spirit. So Paul continues, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Do you ever read a verse and think, I wish that was true? It doesn't seem true. Well, look at Romans 8, 5 and know it is God's word. That is truth. So why then do our minds take us down paths we ought not go? Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit. Let me say that you can translate that when you live in accordance with the Spirit, your mind will be set on what the Spirit desires. Here's two examples from Scripture. Psalm 37, 4, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That means you so love God, you're so delighted to walk with him that he can then author in your heart and mind the things that he wants you to desire. When it says God gives you the desires of your heart, so often we read it as, okay, if I'm close to God, I'll get this, this, and this. He'll want to give me what I want. That's not what this verse means. It means God's going to give you what you should want. It means that in your mind, you'll begin to want the things that God wants for you. So it's the Holy Spirit who teaches us to set our minds on what God wants for our lives. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. I'm going to stop there and explain that. 
If your mind has no other influence than the flesh, then you do not have the Spirit, and you do not have the promise of heaven. If, on the other hand, your mind is governed, controlled by, influenced by the Holy Spirit, then you have life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It wants what God doesn't want for us. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. When you live according to the flesh, you can't please God. You can't know what he wants you to do. So what's the goal of setting our minds on the Holy Spirit? It's that we can have the mind of Christ. It's that we can want what Jesus wants for our lives. It's that we want to be guided by that voice, that inner voice within. Why is there a tension between our natural self and the Holy Spirit? Because Satan doesn't get to have your soul if you're a Christian. The only thing he can own is your witness to others. He wants to control your thoughts and ideas so that you don't become the person the Lord wants you to be in your own life, in your family, in the world. You will always be tempted by the flesh. You will always have thoughts and ideas that are not authored by Jesus. Paul taught that it's an important spiritual principle. It's an important spiritual battleground for the Christian, and that is our minds. Our minds are a battlefield for Satan himself. If he can influence our thoughts, he can influence what we do. As a man thinks, so is he, Scripture says. So when he wrote a letter to Corinth, who was really battling with flesh versus spirit in every way, was one of the chief battles in that church, he wrote one of my favorite statements in all of Scripture, and I use it all the time in my own life and in speaking with others. It's from 2 Corinthians 10.5. It is a perfect explanation of what Paul is trying to say here. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I could do a 30-minute lesson here. Let me sum it up. One of the best things I have ever learned in all of my spiritual journey is this verse, because we know Satan wants to author our thoughts and control our minds. In doing so, he can then control what we choose to do. And if we think his thoughts, they are not at all what God wants us to think. So if you are believing Satan's ideas, that means you are not believing God's. And so there are times when you feel yourself sinking, whether it's a form of depression or a lack of self-worth or a confused mind or any of those lower times in your spiritual life, 
I think one of the best places to begin is with 2 Corinthians 10.5. Grab that thought and own it and ask yourself this one question. Would Jesus have said that to me? And if the answer is no, Jesus didn't say things like that, then who is saying them to you? And why would you receive them? Take those thoughts, bring them up against the word of God, the presence of Jesus. If he didn't say it, demolish it. Get it out of your life. Don't be influenced by Satan's suggestions. That's what it means to have the mind of Christ, to be led by the Holy Spirit. It's not that we don't have the other thoughts. It's that we don't make choices based on those. That's what this means. And I think maybe the very first step to being a spirit-led Christian is to understand that. Paul says our minds have to be governed, ruled by the Holy Spirit in order for us to be at peace with God and live the life he wants for us. Please push pause if you need to until you get that lesson. It will. Ch I, I pray it'll change your life like it did my own. Paul goes on to say, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of Christ lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. I can't say it any clearer than Paul did. If you're not aware of the Holy Spirit in your life, sometimes it's the battle in your mind as the Spirit fights for you that makes you aware you have the Spirit. If you do not have the Spirit of Christ, then understand there is no more important decision in front of you than to choose Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. All you do is pray that prayer of repentance. Understand you can't get to heaven on your own. You need Jesus and receive him into your life. No one wants you to be saved more than your heavenly Father. So, according to Paul, what is the indicator that a person is a Christian? Remember that Paul's going to say in chapter 10, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you need salvation right now, stay there until you are confident and know you are saved. And you don't have to keep being resaved. You are saved right now. Live victorious. If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. If Christ is in you, who is, what is that? The Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is in you, Jesus Christ is in you. Even though your body is subject to death, this body we have is going to die. But because you have the Holy Spirit, you will have life. 
because you've been made righteous, right with God, because of the presence of his spirit in your life. And I want to throw this out there too to all of you who might think you're aging and not able to do as much as you once did. Or I especially want to hand this to you if you have someone in your life who is growing weaker in their minds because of dementia or Alzheimer, just simply age. One of the greatest lessons I ever learned in being in pastoring was this. The Holy Spirit within a person is always perfectly healthy, perfectly whole, perfectly able. There is never a time I hold the hand of somebody who has dementia or Alzheimer that if I know they're a Christian, I don't look into their eyes and pray for them through the Holy Spirit. It's one of the most, I get, I have goosebumps right now. It's one of the most amazing things you can experience because there's never a time the Holy Spirit cannot take your words and take them directly into the heart and soul of that person who is a Christian as well. Even if they can't bring the words back to you, watch their eyes as you pray for them in the Spirit. So, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body because of His Spirit who lives in you. If Jesus was raised from the dead, then the Jesus in you will raise you from the dead. Paul's point, when the Holy Spirit indwells, we are not wretched without hope. In fact, it's the exact opposite. We are going to sin because we're still living this side of heaven, but we sin as somebody who's victorious over that sin. And the more you live a victorious life, the less you will sin. So next week's lesson is going to begin with the word therefore as well. Remember, if the Spirit of Christ indwells you, we are not condemned. We have life, we are set free, and we can set our minds on living according to the Spirit of God. So this week, live confidently. If the Spirit lives in you, you live forever. See you next week. Thanks for listening today. We all know life can get in the way of our best intentions to study God's Word. That's why we're here, to help you consistently stay in Scripture, understand it, and apply it to your daily life. So make sure you hit that follow button wherever you're listening so you'll never miss an episode.